Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's most dangerous Tottenham Hotspur podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio. Well, boys, our master plan has finally come to fruition. Like the puppet masters we are, we have manipulated VAR to give us three important points against Liverpool for a game in September. Finally, we can shed this pitiful disguise and rule the Premier League with the iron fist that opposing fans have always craved us to do. All it cost us was the Champions League final years of humiliation and no small shred of our dignity. But we did it. Now that that's out of the way, let me introduce our co-host. Coming to us this week straight from the VIR Center of East Atlanta, it's Ben Daniels. Ben, do you have any decisions this week that you're looking to pull back? <laughs> any any of my personal decisions? Yeah, any, any. So many, Since so we control everything as Spurs fans now. now. Now that everyone knows, we can drop this pretense, you know. Your decisions, footballing decisions, whatever. Yeah, it's not as fun being in the Varluminati now that it's been an unmasked. You know, yes. The thing about a secret society is it should be secret, and I'm a little, a little bummed. It's like when Homer joins the Stonecutters. It's like it's kind of over. But we don't have to put our light under a bushel anymore. <laughs> there is that. There is that. <laughs> Coming to and emerging from the marbled corridors of the Premier League's power brokers, wiping his nose, it's Brian Ashlock. Brian, have you explored every legal option yet? Uh, no, I try to look for extra legal uh, options first, usually, usually my MO, because I find that, um, you know, the legal things, there's a lot of red tape and stuff involved. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I'm going to explore extra legal options for, um, you know, other ways that we can steal wins. Um, I think, you know... Um, our plan of putting Mauricio Pochettino in charge of Chelsea is going very well so far. Um, so pleased with uh, the guys in our uh, planning department's uh, long-term vision on that. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I'm excited to see what we can come up with. There's a lot cooking. Uh, well done. Good process. So. Yep. Good <laughs> process, boys. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. This is, I, I think this is maybe coming off this 2-1 victory against Liverpool. It might be our worst performance of the season but it's definitely our best result because it was definitely our funniest result uh ben how do you feel i I found this very satisfying because this continually happens to us against liverpool and watching them eat shit was incredibly satisfying to me how did it feel for you yeah it's funny because you know we go back in time to that eric lamella penalty and I remember Liverpool fans acting like it was the greatest injustice ever perpetrated on football at that time. And we had the Zapruder film, like analysis of like how he and Van Dyke interacted and like who put whose leg where. And like, since that happened, there have been like a thousand things that went the other way against us. And Liverpool fans have completely memory hold you know, the 20 straight matches of our humiliation and being hard done by. And as far as they're concerned, it's just like a straight line from Eric Lamella to this, and nothing bad has ever happened to Spurs ever. Um, and I, I don't know, I'm just, I'm just impressed by their ability to sustain a victim conflict, a complex, like a grieved state of being, despite anything that happens to them. It's like, it's... Well, it's while really they inspiring. Arguably, like, the second best team in world football for the last, you know, five years or whatever it's been. Yeah, they've won the Champions League and the league in this time period and still managed to have, like, an ungodly sized chip on their shoulder. And it is I, really, like, it I is a lesson out, for us. Ben, I blacked out for a second there. What did you say before they won the Premier League? Um, I, that's it. That's the only thing that ever happened good for I Liverpool. Thought. That's what I thought. I mean, it's really just sad that, you know, Musa Sissoko and Eric Lamella couldn't be on the pitch for this. I mean, Skip got to be out there. 
Um, it's a shame that uh, he and Jota didn't overlap quite as much as uh, the last time they were on the field together. Um, but yeah, I mean, this was really just, you know, justice for Sissoko more than anything, I think. How about Oliver Skip? I mean, you mentioned him, but like, take away all that other shit, all the awful stuff, you know, the balls off of Alderweireld's face, the Sissoko penalty, which, you know, I'm not over, but like, just the fact that they won a game last year off of a player who kicked another one of our guys studs up in the face, like five minutes before that, like yeah, that, that would be enough to have me sort of like furious at them for the rest of the time. But I mean, just God, it's, it's been such a playing Liverpool's been such a house of horrors for so many years. And I know we haven't been good, but it sort of doesn't matter what form we're in. We just find ways to lose, whether it's bad luck with officiating or just bad luck period or poor play. Uh, it just, you know, it always finds a way to go wrong. And it's it's kind of stunning for it to watch a game like this happen at Liverpool against us. Usually it's City. I, and I really love, like, the mental gymnastics that fans online are doing to, to talk about how, like, you know, they've never benefited from the VAR ever. Like, you know, the with the with the Skip and Jota example for I saw people tweeting like, well, but Skip leaned down into it. And, you know, <laughs> Jota has every right to play that ball. And, da, 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 and I'm just like, I maybe we all just have a different understanding of the game. Maybe as Americans, we just don't fully grasp the intricacies of football the way that these local Liverpool fans do. Because um, that's not, I don't i don't think that's how soccer works. It's not about the game. It's about being a fan. And that's where we just don't operate on their level. Like, they have embraced a level of blind fandom that is, is so admirable. It's insane and terrible. But, like, imagine how it must feel in the warm embrace of that fandom. Like, it's just... You you can never do just, anything wrong. You like as Greg Spott was saying, never never fail, only be failed. Like there is an you live in a world where there is an actual conspiracy against you that you are constantly overcoming and and, and winning in spite of all of you know all of humanity arrayed in conspiracy against you, and it, it doesn't ever succeed. Like that must be just like an amazing universe to live in. A world and, I mean, they've got only the, by burning Fernando Torres jerseys. Well, they've got the perfect manager to allow them that delusion, too. No, the perfect manager would be Jose Mourinho. No, it's you need the the level of avuncularness. I don't know that's the word, but uh, avuncularity, whatever that the clock brings to. That like he can be the kind of smiley, happy guy when things are all hunky dory, but then like his ability to turn it and and to, you know, not make it be at all introspective about things that Liverpool has to do better or errors that they made, but to to project whatever it is on any and all outside influences like I I think he's a step above Mourinho in that because Mourinho is is like comic book villain that even some of his own fans know like hey look he's just doing this to you know put the pressure on himself or take the pressure off the players or whatever with Klopp all of the Liverpool fans like are drinking that Kool-Aid yeah Jose is like he's too petulant he's too like look at me mommy aren't I being naughty about everything like it's there's not like the the earnestness behind it and that's that's always something that's drew me insane about Klopp. This idea of like, you know, like everybody, at least in the media, treats him like, oh, look at look at like he's such a warm, cuddly guy. And then like, you know, you all you have to do, we've all been there. Like you're kind of on the wrong, you know, you you you, you get the better of Liverpool in any way, whether it's just the run of luck or you play a better game than them. And he's he's bitching about how wet the grass is. He's talk, you know, implying the referees screwed him. It's just. You're right. It's, it's, he really has embraced that fandom, or at least the ticks of that fandom, in a way that is special, I suppose. And, I mean, we've got that now with Ange Postacoglu. And Ange you know, so, would never, ever be that annoying. I mean, I, we'll see. We will see. I mean, I really hope that, you know, five years from now, you know, Ange is up there giving a press conference talking about how, you know, 
that nobody in the room would understand because they didn't play football at the highest levels of the A-League like he did. Uh, and or not, It wasn't even the A-League then, whatever, the Australian first division. Like, he learned the game from Puskas, and, like, uh, and, and so he understands it much better than, you know, any of the jur- journalists that cover Spurs. And and that's why, you know, we specifically have been aggrieved. Um, I'm excited for that phase of our, you know, fan journey. I hope we get there. Yeah. Yeah. I hope we get to a point where we are constantly winning trophies and somehow still <laughs> still feel like we're getting hosed by, by the world like that. I mean, that sounds great. The, the yeah, trophy part especially. Yeah. I mean, you look at what happened at Liverpool in this match, and I think we would all be rightly furious about the offsides call. But I don't fucking care, because I was rightly furious about the Musa Sissoko having a ball hit his chest and shoulder and getting a fucking penalty called on him in a Champions League final. Like, shit happens in a match. They should, they should absolutely be mad about it. I don't begrudge any Liverpool fan who's not fuming over that. What bothers me is you've got this, like, insane shit you see online. You, you know, you have people trying to, like, you know, write Macbeth soliloquies or, you know, Shakespearean soliloquies about it and Liverpool writing about how it's an injustice and, you know, calling the integrity of the game into question. It's just like, get a hold of yourself, man. Like, I mean, happens. the thing for me is that, like, they're all- hundred percent correct that that is an egregious failure of a system that is literally put purpose- in place to right. avoid things like yes. this right, right it only exists to not ha- let that happen and it did in such a comically stupid fashion and we can talk about the video later because that's worth a whole podcast i think but you know the way that they're presenting this injustice as like a matter of the integrity of the game that demands our solidarity as Spurs fans. And like, this is the thing that like really fucking pisses me off is they're, they're acting like so high and mighty about it. Like this is not about something that happened to Liverpool. This is something that happened to the sport. And we have a duty to express solidarity for the sanctity of the premier league and the sanctity of football. And, you know, we are now the like petty, you know, sore winners who can't put the game ahead of, you know, a measly three points in September that doesn't even matter. Like that except, is like except the, if Liverpool loses the title by one point. Right. But like that's the framing that I'm just like so uninterested in hearing right now is there is nothing above board about this this grievance from Liverpool's perspective. You know, it's like it's not that this happened. It's that this happened to Liverpool. And Liverpool is the first people who will pretend that that's not why they're mad. But, like, of course that's why they're mad. And so I agree that, like, we all as fans should feel bad about, like, VAR. But, like, we do. Like, we already do. Nobody likes this, you know? And so I will not be, like, held hostage to this case study and, like, be told that, like, I am participating in a degradation of the sport for enjoying getting one over Liverpool because the thing failed in a specific way that gave us three points and I get to be happy for a weekend. You can eat shit, Liverpool. And I think my thing is, is like, you know, the the criticism of Spurs, like the club, the manager, the players seems so over the top to me because like, what are they supposed to do? Like, what is Ange Postacoglu and the, and the 11 players on the field supposed to do in that moment? Because, one, you don't have the the, the benefit of the VAR replay, right? And so what are you going to do? You're going to go over to the fourth official and be like, Mr. Fourth Official, I think you guys screwed that one. You know, m- maybe what we should do is just let Liverpool score a goal. Like, that's not uh, – uh, I'm sorry. This isn't 1995 anymore. Like, we, we're not doing that. And – you know, I, you know, bad refereeing is is a reality across sports. Like, you know, I understand that you know we're doing so many things to um, eliminate uncertainty in in all these things that we're doing. But like, human error has just been like a fact of life for for all sports fans. And like, yeah, is this the most hilarious way that the human error can happen? Yeah, it's it's definitely 
Like there's I don't I can't think of anything that would be more funny than this yet. Um, but it happening it's, again at Anfield. Yeah, that would be great. But I mean, you know, look, how many games did we watch, you know, a decade or two ago where Jermaine Defoe or Robbie Keane was called off sides and you're looking at it on the TV and you're like, I don't I don't I think he was on. Or, you know, like Or Jan Vertonghen called offside in his own half. Like, yeah, exactly. Seated. Like, so, you know, I, I just look or I, or look at back just a few weeks ago when Onana tried to decapitate someone on Wolves. In the last minute of a match. And, like, yeah, everyone talked about how bad it was, but we weren't rending garments and, like, you know, offer like killing goats and offering them up to the gods on behalf of wolves because, you know, because they're not Liverpool. I mean, we should have just killed the goats and offered them to the wolves. That would have, you know, instead cut that out the middleman. That might have worked. Um, no, I, I, but, yeah, I agree. Like, you know, look, there will be a time this season where Spurs are going to be hard done by the officials. You know, like uh, the Brentford match has already happened, yeah. you know, the, you know, so like I think these things all balance out in the end. And, and I'm with Ben, like, you know, look, if you wanted to treat this, uh, if you were a Liverpool fan, you wanted to take this, you wanted to say, look, this is evidence that the way we're doing VAR doesn't work. This as a system is bad. And this specifically was very bad. I'm with you, man. Like, I, I think the way that they communicate was insane in this instance, like absolutely insane but by the same token it's not an injustice to all of sporting integrity and there's no onus on tottenham hotspur or any other entity to have any sort of sympathy for liverpool and you know you get you, you got your pgmol apology that's all you get buddy like no and if you lose they, the title by one or two points bummer and like other things happened like they have already announced steps they're going to take to rectify this kind of mistake from happening. Yeah, it doesn't do them a lot of good, but like it that's just how it happens. Is like a problem happens, they try to fix it, and we move forward. Musa Suzoko did a non-handball, lost us the Champions League final, and then a week later they changed the handball rule because they realized it was wrong. We did not get to replay the Champions League final over the fact that it was such an egregious mistake. They literally changed the rules of the game to make sure it never happened again. But, like, that's a thing that we all live with, you know? Anytime a player gets a red card and they review it and that red card gets overturned, like, that is a good, that is a perspective fix going forward. But it does not retroactively mean that, like, the game that happened where that red card took place needs to be replayed because the integrity of that match was ruined by having a man unfairly sent off. That happens literally all the time. In fact, Liverpool just tried to get uh, Curtis Jones's red card rescinded. You know, that's like part of the procedures. We know that's a thing that happens. Human error makes a mistake, and then we fix it the best as we can after the fact, and then we move forward. Like, calm the fuck down, guys. And I, I think that you mentioned the red cards, Ben. I, I think that's just another thing that's infuriating me about all this, because in... in you know, sort of Liverpool's, you know, being so aggrieved by this, they've also wrapped up the discipline they got in the match. They had two men sent off. And you can debate whether, you know, the yellow card on, on Jota was warranted, or at least the first one, even the second one, or whether, you know, it was like studs up, whether that should have been, you know, whether he should have been sent off for on the straight red. But the fact of the matter is, if you just like, if you could somehow just like erase the identity of the players and you showed me those, whether or not like I agree with or not, if you told me like, oh, Spurs player did that or whatever, I probably would be unhappy about it. But I would be like, yeah, you, someone's probably getting sent off for, for the red card. And like, I've seen those yellows given, especially the second, which is like, you know, I mean, he's got no one to blame but himself putting a tackle like that in less than two minutes after getting his first yellow. It's just, you know, shit happens. Sometimes it's just not the run of play. And I would absolutely be bitching about it and mad about it. And, you know, I'd be complaining about the refs and I don't know what they're doing. What I wouldn't do is think that, you know, the Premier League is out to get us. You know, I might think the universe is out to give us, especially if we're playing like Liverpool or something. But, you know, I wouldn't seriously think that there is a conspiracy directed at us, you know. I think that's a thing that like is really drives home how how pathetic the whole thing from Liverpool is, is they have a open and shut black and white case of grievance about the offsides call. 
It was wrong. It's admitted wrong. We all know it was wrong in a very stupid way. But they're incapable of limiting their critique to that one clear-cut instance. It's They've wrapped everything into it. And now they're trying to debate red cards that anybody who watched the game, Spurs fans or otherwise, is looking at and saying, no, wait, you're mad about this red card? He goes over the ball, studs up into his ankle. You see his leg bend the wrong way. Like, it's a fucking red card. There's no there's no injustice there. Like, even if it was harsh, it's not like you can say, I've never seen a red card given for that. But they're incapable of, of separating the things that make them personally feel mad from the sense of justice that they're trying to present this fucking case as. And that's what, like, for me, makes the whole thing feel so fucking hollow and so transparently bullshit. Um, and uh, I think, frankly, is why... Every- Everybody is kind of looking at this as like Liverpool are a joke and not we, you know, we need to replay this game for the sanctity of football. And, and to me, like the complaints about the the second red card, the the Jota sending off are the, are the ones that to me are the most ridiculous. just because, OK, you look, we can say that maybe there's a question about that first card, but. He is aware that he has received a yellow card and has received it recently. Whether or not he agrees with the the the, the validity Excuse of me, that referee, yellow card, I don't, I don't think that was a yellow. So this yellow is under protest, yeah. right? So we're not- <laughs> yeah, yeah. He doesn't get to do that. He's received it like that, and so and then so then for him to do that challenge, that second challenge is a hundred percent a yellow card challenge. Like that gets given. 90% of the time like and and especially and look we can talk about how like oh maybe English refs don't like to give second yellows all that often and maybe that's rare but like you just have to be smarter in that situation and so like the complaints are like we should have had you know 11 men the whole time and we should have had a goal and blah blah blah, blah. like nah like that that George is getting sent off regardless guys well, you know when, yeah, you I know don't when have English the- refs do like to give second yellows when you do it like less than like three minutes after the first yellow because you're just rubbing it in the referee's face at that point. Like, that's the point where you're, you know, you were literally asking for it. Right. I don't have the data on this, but I know the Premier League gives fewer second yellows than other other big five leagues, for sure. But I think when, there was a thing a couple years ago, it's like Italy is the place where it's most commonplace, and then, like, France, and then, like, England is, like, way, way down. There. Yeah. Yeah. But I would guess that the second yellows that are given are exactly circumstances like this. When you just got on a yellow and then do a flagrant foul right in front of the ref right afterwards, that's the kind of second yellow they love to show. If you got a yellow in the second minute, you can coast on that for the rest of the game. And like you'll never get in trouble no matter how bad it is. But two in a row is like ascending off all the time. They are not shy about that second yellow. But... I, getting away from Liverpool fans for a second, one thing I have seen discussed is this idea of, like, a harsh red. And, like, I understand that he wasn't trying to cripple Sar on that play, but I, I hate this Basuma. idea that... Basuma. Basuma. I was Basuma. I'm, oh, oh. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, that he wasn't trying that he wasn't trying to cripple Basuma on that play. But I hate this idea of, like, well, if it wasn't premeditated murder and you didn't bring a weapon onto the pitch, how can it really be a red? You know, it's like, it's reckless play. And maybe even if he was a little unlucky on th- that it was that it's it's a reckless play. It's a yeah, red. We don't need to debate this. Like again, this is fucking yeah, red card. You're like right. It's, you're right. Th- there's no reason to give oxygen to these grievances because they're nonsense. Yeah, but there's Liverpool fans, and we want to complain about them, which you know is is a proud tradition. So let's stop talking about Liverpool fans. Let's talk about the game. I think we've wasted enough time on officiating. How do you think we looked? I was pretty impressed with the first 25 minutes of this match because I think this was arguably a much well in, in this in this way I see the face you're making at me Ben I thought this was a much bigger test than Arsenal um I think Liverpool I think Liverpool's played really well this year and they're really dangerous and I thought we really had held our own when it was 11 v 11 now who knows how a match would have gone if it stayed that way but I was impressed with sort of how we were handling ourselves when it was 11 on 11 uh, I mean, I, you know, first of all, I think Arsenal away is a harder fixture than Liverpool at home. Uh, just generally, Arsenal were the second best team in the league last year and are still, I think, better than Liverpool this year, maybe. Frauds. They're frauds. But, 
you know, again, playing at home versus playing away is just a huge, a huge difference. Um, that aside, I do not, I don't think we were like, like bad, bad in the first 25 minutes, but we weren't like, we weren't good by any means. We weren't creating anything. We were very much struggling to, you know, build attacks. Liverpool had a few half chances. It was, if any team was on top, it was not us. Um, like it was a kind of rough start that we have had and recovered from a lot this season. So I don't think it was like catastrophic and we'll never know what might've happened had Liverpool not been, you know, so violently unhinged in that match. Um, but I, I, I didn't, I didn't feel great. I don't know. Brian, did you feel better? Are you, am I crazy? No, I mean, I don't know. I thought it was fine. I think I was, if we're just talking about the 11 v 11 portion of the match, which is what, like the first 26 minutes, 25 minutes, something like that. Um, you know, they were definitely creating much more dangerous chances, but you know, we had, I think at that point we'd still had, you know, the majority of the possession. Um, you know, we were, I don't know. We, I felt like we were growing into the game, but you're right. You know, they, Salah and Diaz and, you know, that, and the, the passing from Sobola, I'm, I'm never going to get that guy's name right. Um, but, uh, yeah, from him in the middle, like that, they were opening us up and they were hitting, you know, balls into the channels for Salah to chase and like, you know, Van de Ven and Romero were doing a good job kind of getting back and mopping up, but like, I certainly was at least a little tense at that time. Like, I felt like, you know, we needed to either, you know, tighten up in, in our possession or or we, we were going to get punished. And, and we almost did. We should have been punished. Um, but, you know, I, I, I thought the rest of the game was... The, I think the my feeling about it was is just we weren't really prepared on how to attack you know yeah. a, a 10 man or or a nine man team and i mean i think that's probably part about of uh you know just not being as familiar with this system not be having been uh coached by Ange for long enough to really understand how he wanted to do attacking with uh you know a man advantage or two man advantage um and i think it was uh it was either the athletic or tifo um that released a, a pretty a really good video from like uh john mckenzie uh this week where he talked about you know normally when you have these these teams that go down a man or down two men this is the structure that they play this is the structure that liverpool specifically played and then these are the areas where that you want to attack because there's space and those are the you know, the wings essentially. And we just didn't do much in those areas. Um, None of our wingers are get to the byline and, and, you know, cut it back or get to the byline and type of wingers. They're all cut inside, try to shoot wingers. Um, And, and and it felt like kind of like we were battering our heads against a brick wall for a long portion of the the time. And, you know, I, I know that our writer's room was talking about it. I saw people on Twitter during the game, like just get to the byline and you know play in low crosses. And then by the time we finally did it in the 96th minute, we lucked into an own goal. So you know it's just like it, it was frustrating in that regard. But I mean, we got a victory. So how, how frustrated can you be? Yeah, I mean, you know, you have a man advantage. You think, okay, well this is gonna go very badly for the other team we're about to like rip them to pieces you know especially a, a red card that early with that much time and you've got that much time to kind of run down their their legs as they're chasing an extra man um and that just didn't really happen and liverpool were constantly dangerous in transition i mean diaz and and sala were were wreaking havoc you know in the spaces behind our fullbacks you know largely this was like because we had that man advantage and unfortunately gave up a goal as quickly as we did to start the second half, we were really pressing for it because, you know, that's, that's our game to win. Um, and that really played into Liverpool's hands in a lot of ways. Um, that gave them a lot of dangerous opportunities in transition, which they love. And also 
like you said, we don't have a lot of great ideas for breaking down, you know, a packed box and putting in early curled crosses for Van Dyke and Matip to head clear all day is not, you know, ever going to be you know, the answer. Um, and it was the kind of game where, you know, our normal midfield structure where, you know, Basuma sucks in pressure and opens up gaps and things like that just don't happen because no one is taking the bait to like press Basuma in the center circle. Everyone's kind of retreated. So, you know, we don't have the opportunity for SAR to make that second man run and like get into uh, space between the lines. We don't have, you know, Madison able to un- unpick um, a slightly unsettled team. You know, we kind of ended up with Madison just being the quarterback in front of a bank of red shirts trying to figure out which angle to hit across at to somebody. And, I mean, it did work that one time. Yeah, I mean, you know, that I think that was in the first half after the red card, I think Liverpool hadn't really adjusted to how they were going to play with 10 men. Um, and I think there were a, a lot more opportunities. You know, that ball that Madison hits into Richarlison to set up Sun is like, those are the kinds of chances that, you know, would we, we're good at creating. And those spaces, like, really disappeared um, after halftime, especially, you know, again, Liverpool scored their equalizer, like, immediately. And that kind of took the burden off of them to, you know, step out and, and give us those opportunities. Um, and, yeah, we just... Look, we've, we've spent so much time learning one idea of how and should play. We haven't had time to learn... Kind of play in, I think, this very specific circumstance. Well, I, I think what it's, I, chalk I, it up to. I think it's a couple things that are all sort of like converging into a perfect storm. Like I think, like Brian referenced that video from John McKenzie, and you know about how Liverpool is a team that's kind of set up to play well like this. Like you know, I mean, we saw it against Newcastle earlier this year. I mean, I think they got a little lucky, but you know, they're they're able to play in this way. And I think that was something that we were definitely aware of and scared of. I think you could see this team. I feel like when we went up by 10 men, or at least maybe after the goal, because I do, I do that we played well initially, like you said, Ben, probably before they really got their structure set up. Uh, you know, the, I think we were playing not to lose um, until, you know, pretty late in the match. And I think also on top of that, you've got, like you were saying, Brian, you know, we just have not probably had the time to work out under Ange between experience and just practice time. We probably have not worked out how to play against 10 or nine men particularly if it's a team like Liverpool. And on top of all that, the kind of players, especially on the wings that you'd like to have, either aren't on this team, or if you're being generous, maybe a guy like Brennan Johnson or someone isn't healthy, isn't fit. You know, even a Perisic who isn't, you know, a speedy winger, but could probably offer you some something on the sides. You know, like we just didn't have like the personnel that you would need. And I think you combine all those things and it just led to a fairly turgid performance, which I think on the one hand is pretty understandable, even if it was really frustrating to watch. Cause especially like, like you said, Brian, we should all be absolutely thrilled because we came away with a win and that was sure was fun the way we won it. But there was something about, you know, like we finally just said Poro down the flank to put a low cross across the face of goal. It's like, why haven't we been doing that at least for the last 10, 10 minutes? Like when they went down to 10, nine men, like, why haven't we just been spamming crosses like this, you know? Well, and I think, you know, certainly us not changing our approach at all is justified in that first half, uh, especially when you, you get that l- nice little ball in behind the fullback and, and Son and Richarlison um, connect well on that goal. Like, you know, I think we all kind of had questions at the, the beginning of this game, like, okay, if they're swapped, how does that work? How does that look? Yeah, it looked fine. It worked pretty well, especially in that instance. But then, like, the second half, I was surprised we didn't swap them back to Richarlison playing there in the center with Sun on the outside. And I I know that's what we did eventually when we pulled Sun off. But, like, I just felt like I would have liked to have them just make a go at it with using Richarlison as more of the battering ram earlier in the game. And, you know, and Sun being as two-footed as he is, he can get to the byline and he can play those balls. He does do that. And so, like, 
I would have liked to have seen that. I would like to seen Ange be more proactive with his substitutes. You know, like, I mean, look, you know, we we were at a game in in Lisbon where uh, uh, Sporting went up a man in what was it the first half hour, and yeah, similar you know, time. They, yeah, they they a similar time, and they yank off you know a, a more defensive player and bring on Marcus Edwards. And, you know, then they scored three goals immediately thereafter. Like, I think it was two in quick succession. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'm not saying that Ange should have done that necessarily in this situation because, you know, playing against whoever it was, uh, Vittoria Gimaresh or whoever, uh, is a little bit different than playing against Liverpool. I get that. But, like, you know, to, to wait as long as we did into the match to try to use some fresh legs against a team that is out there, you know, having to run more than you, having to do more work than you, like to not exploit that until what, like the 70 something minute. It just seems weird to me. Well, I'll tell you something that I didn't, it didn't occur to me during the match, but um, Wendy talked about on the extra inch this weekend, it like when he said it, I was like, that would have been interesting. I kind of wish we'd done that. He, t- he pointed out how well Richarlson was playing on the left in this match. And given that, um, you know, Liverpool's packing it in so much and our options on the left are, you know, like even the most charitable interpretation of Manor Solomon is, you know, he's got a lot of work to do. And I'm not sure he's technically gifted enough to break down this Liverpool team when they're packing it in so much. You know, his suggestion is, like, we should have put Valise in the center and left Charleston out wide. And when he said that, it sort of was like, oh, I, you know, that would have been in, an interesting approach to this. Now, I probably can't fault a manager too much for, you know, not throwing on a 20-year-old who's played, like, one under-21 game in England and coming off an injury into his first Premier League appearance when we're, you know, like, tied with, like, half, with a whole half to go, but... You know, he brought him on eventually. It's just I, I thought Richarlson worked better on the left, especially for what we were doing, than you know, sort of anything else we could throw on. I mean, whatever you think of Brennan Johnson, if he was healthy, at least there's like a, you know, you could see something there that might work. But I just didn't think there was anything on our bench that was better than him. Yeah, I mean, I think the unfortunate reality is with Perisic down, Johnson down, and Solomon not being very good. Uh, Brian Heal also down. Yeah, like we just don't have a lot of attacking options. I mean, you look at our subs, it was like, after Solomon came on, it was like Ben Davis and Oliver Skip. It's not like we have a wealth of attacking options at our disposal. Um, so I understand, you know, sticking with our guys. But, you know, I think the real surprising change that I think made us better very late was Hoybeard. Um and a guy that should have come on, I think, sooner because, you know, Saar and Basuma just were not able to really impact the game at all. Um, and it was pulling Madison further and further away from dangerous areas because somebody had to get on the ball early and and do the passing um, because we just had a lot of space in front of us. And getting a second guy who can move the ball, who can switch fields effectively, who can, you know, play a cute little ball over the top or whatever. Like, that's really the only person we have on our bench who's capable of doing that. And, you know, I thought he made a very big impact in a very short amount of time um, that he was on the pitch. And, like, you know, Madison is a guy who has played wide and can play wide for us. We haven't really seen it yet, but, like... If you're trying to get somebody who is got good delivery, you know, we've seen very recently him like break a guy in half um, down the down the wing and put in a great ball across the face of goal. Um, You know, like he has that in his locker. Um, You know, I know Hoiberg is on his way out and maybe not, you know, a a favored member of, of Angie's squad, but like we've used him enough and he's a good professional and has given, you know, good performances when he's been called upon that. I think that's probably the change that you can make earlier um, to just sort of try and shake things up. And I mean, I was really excited about the bench that we had this game. I mean, this was, this was the most younger young players we've had on the bench in a long time. We've got, Phillips, Donnelly, 
uh, and Velez on there. And like when they get when Liverpool gets somebody sent off in the 26th minute, you're like, oh, we're gonna beat them four nil, and all these kids are gonna get to play. And like that was that was my that was my like main frustration with this is like we I would have liked us to beat the brakes off these guys and then have Donnelly, uh, Phillips, and Velez have all made their debuts and gotten to like have some fun out there and like you know Velez did get to come on he got a yellow card for his trouble um, and uh, could have scored the winner if it weren't for Matip getting in the way. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, how good would that have been? Uh, that would not have had a detrimental effect on his career at all. Um, yeah, I don't. But hey, you know. Danny Rose did in his first like his first game at Spurs or whatever it was. Like, had the bet did the best thing he'd ever did on a football pitch, and he still had a great career. So I don't know him with the Heinekens after the Ajax well, matches during a ninety minutes. How about that? Yeah, fair enough. Um, but yeah, no, I think. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with Ben. Like, you know, Hoybier was the one that surprised me as as not being turned to quicker. Um, and, and but yeah, we didn't have the level of quality in the options on the bench. You know, LaCelso still hurt. Like, you know, we don't have we just we just don't have options right now. I think I think the score is better than it was in than it has been in years past. But you know, when it comes to guys that are attackers or guys that you are going to go out there and dig out a late goal for you, um, we're kind of in search of that. Uh, I thought I want to talk about a standout performance that I think he had another one was Pedro Poro. I think that guy is just, you know, we were all right. You know, I, I want to emphasize that we our scouting report was correct. You know, we I think we could all see this coming. Uh, no, but he's been, I mean, it's been a revelation this year. I know, I know that we keep saying that, but this is just another game where, you know, he just handles all the, because teams are throwing a lot of pressure at him because they think he's a wink link and he just handles it well. He, do, he, he relieves pressure on the defense. He gets the ball upfield. You know, I mean, he created that winning goal um, with his, a, a very good cross. You know, that's the kind of thing you want to see players putting in the box. Either you're, you're going to force a team to make a decision because if they don't, you know, it's someone on your team is going to be on the end of it. Uh, just what an outstanding fullback. What an outstanding player for Spurs. Yeah, I mean, remember when we were having all the arguments last year about how he was a wingback and couldn't play fullback and what would we do if we hired somebody who ran a back four? Like, we were right. You guys were all wrong. Uh-huh. Um, no, yeah, I, we definitely been, had to be a regular old right back all along. That's definitely, yeah, yeah. But no, I mean, he was really good in this game. He's been really good. I think, you know, it's really interesting to see, um, the way that whole right side functions, uh, you know, this season, you know, with, with him and Saar and Kulisevsky. And I think they, all three of them, you know, interplay really well together. They all three work very hard. They all three cover a lot of ground. Um, and, and it's like this game was he was really good. His passing was excellent. He was getting back to cover on the transitions. Um, and I think the main thing for him is uh, he's cut out a lot of the sloppiness that we saw at times from him. You, you know, he, he comes in the end of that, that first game of the season and he looks OK. He gets to start the second game. He gets a couple of bad giveaways early against United. And you're like, uh, is this the same kind of stuff we saw last year? And then after that, I, I, he's been like really, really good. I'm not going to say he hasn't made any mistakes since then. But I mean, what mistakes he have has made have not punished us in any sort of way. And he's he's stopped making mistakes in our defensive third, which is a big help. Yeah, and I think, you know, some of the you can kind of put down to him being a very run-and-gun kind of player. Like, his previous responsibilities were just, like, get the ball and, like, start looking for ways to attack. And, you know, that's a mentality that leads to being a little loose in possession. And we definitely saw the consequences of that when he was trying to play that same way out of our own box against, like, Premier League players and not the dregs of Portuguese football. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm very impressed that he was gotten the message and has had the ability to just say, okay, I'll calm it down. And then, and then has, um, I think my, 
the frustrations with Poro right now, you know, if you're being cynical, is that like, well, we get a lot of attacks down his flank. And you know, Luis Diaz was always in space back there. But like, to me, that is much more a system issue than a Pedro Poro issue. Like, it's it's not like he has gone walkabout and like vacated the space. It's like we're asking him to not be there because we want him to play in these, you know, the sort of midfield third um, and support from, from those areas. And that by, by necessity leaves those spaces um, open. And we trust, you know, Romero and, and Vandeven and Vicario to like mop that up. And, you know, I think people like who are still maybe not as on board the Pedro Poro era as they should be, are like looking at stuff like that and be like, where the fuck is he? And like, why isn't he there? Why isn't he making, you know, those plays? But, you know, I, I think it, when we see him do 1v1 defending, he looks very accomplished. Yeah. Um, and again, in a way that is a, is a change. Like he has made some defensive errors, some defensive positioning errors, particularly last spring, that he just didn't seem to like understand, you know, how to, how to be <laughs> in defense. Um it's almost like having good coaching might make a difference. Yeah. My frustration from a system standpoint is how much it limits his ability to get involved in and around the box, because that is a thing that he is such a, a plus player at, you know, even, you know, last spring when he was, you know, taking a lot off the table um, with his, his defensive issues. Um, it was undisputed what a what a valuable attacking asset he was in the box getting shots creating opportunities etc and we've really lost that and you know the way that he created that winner today or not today but the way he created that winner is is a reminder of how much he can give you and how how much it might help to have overlapping fullbacks in those wide areas when guys like Kulishevsky, you know you know, Kulishevsky wants to take the ball across the top of the box, like 80% of the time, you know, we need someone who's willing to do that. And if Ange could figure out how to get everything he's getting out of these guys and also allow him and Udagi on the other side to provide an overlapping presence in, you know, situations that call for it. Um, I think we could just get better and better. I think uh, that one thing that is really to Pedro Poor's credit is he is essentially relegated Emerson Royale to the bench. And I think Royale is a player who makes a lot of sense in this team on paper. Like, I think he does a lot of the things that sort of you would want a fullback to do in Ange's system. And he, he's like just an easier fit. And I think the fact that Poro is Pedro Poro has just cemented himself as our right back just tells you, you know, how good he's been and how much he gives us. Um, I'm hoping that in these next couple matches against some teams that, you know, we should hopefully beat up on a little bit. Uh, maybe we see a little bit more of that attacking verve that Ben was talking about. Yeah, I, I, I hope, you know, some of these matches against, you know, Luton and some of the other ones we have coming up that we kind of go back out there and, and start beating teams, like, comprehensively. Um, you know, again, we, we talked about a few weeks ago, like it's really important to be beating these bad teams and to be banking all these points, you know, because like we've got a stretch later in the season where it's like City and Chelsea, which maybe doesn't look as hard anymore. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, like we, we, we've got we've got some difficult stretches this year and, and, you know, being within touching distance of City at the top of the table uh, at this point is great. And, you know, the longer that we can stay in that position, the easier um, this season becomes. And, and, you know, it'll, it'll allow us to, you know, play rotated sides so that we can try to go after an FA cup in the, in the second half of the year, if that's something that we want to do. Um, it'll allow because we've us already to, wrapped up the title by February. So. Yeah, no, or, well, you know, I was thinking more like that we, you know, our, our top four places safe-ish or, you know, that we feel pretty good about it. And so we can, you know, do do a little bit more squad rotation than, than we've seen from Ange so far this season. But like, you know, I... I don't know. I, I, I'm just, you know, I, I'm I'm interested to see how the system develops, how the players in the system develop, and you know, uh, 
how Ange adjusts to, you know, just the the rigors of the Premier League, the thing that we all talk about, like the reason why we want Premier League, Premier League experienced managers is because this is the hardest league in the world or whatever. So, and let I want to see how Ange does with it. So, I want to take a step back for a second. We it is the beginning of October and we are in second place after taking four points from Arsenal away and Liverpool at home. How have you recalibrated your expectations for the team this year, Ben? No, I, 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 I'm still comfortable with this being a work in progress. And I think, you know, we have had enough fortunate uh, outcomes in our results that, you know, I'm not getting too carried away. You know, I think Man U victory was not super comprehensive. The Arsenal draw, a little fortunate. Liverpool win, very fortunate. You know, like, <laughs> uh, you know, I think Sheffield United, like, you know, we made very hard work of, like, we have not been as good as I think we're going to get. And it may be that this was the period that, that's fine. We still rolled up a lot of points and we're just going to get better. And so sky's the limit. But, you know, if we have some, like we haven't had a setback yet. We haven't lost a game. Like this is, this is nervy space to be in because we're probably not going to have an invincible season. Like we might, I'm not going to rule it out, but like, we're probably going to have a setback at some point. And like we had the Fulham game in the cup and the meltdown was just like catastrophic for like the most inconsequential loss we could have had. Like everything's gone very well up until now. Um, Hard times are going to come almost certainly. And it's going to be an ask of how we deal with those. You know, we are not a very deep squad. If Van de Ven gets injured, if Basuma gets injured, like who the fuck knows? Like what, what, this team looks like without these guys you know we have so many great players who are so irreplaceable it feels like uh so you know i'm not expecting more than a good push at top four and i think it it would be a mistake to get so carried away that you're gonna be mad if that doesn't happen i think we're gonna win the league but like if we don't it's okay that's all i'm saying i mean we're gonna get like vard like crazy this weekend like just as payback the pgmol isn't even going to apologize they're just gonna like they'll release a statement it's just like karma's a bitch they're and... just gonna put out like a picture of musa soko's like shoulder <laughs> oh you're muted brian i was just gonna say I'm that surprised. like i'm i'm with ben like in spirit but not like I don't know. I, I he's right that like I don't think we should reevaluate and change our expectations because I think you know th- there's a reason why we started this season with the the thought process we all had. There's no the the stakes are lower. We just sold the greatest player in the modern era for this club. We brought in a new manager. We we are in the beginning of a rebuilding process, and we've seen what happens when like a rebuilding peaks too soon, which is basically what happened with that Pochettino squad. And then we stagnated for years and didn't do anything with it. And, and so to, to all of a sudden apply pressure to this team, this club, just because, you know, we've had a really good run of seven league matches. It, it's not going to do anyone a service. It's not going to, disservice to the team it's going to be disservice to us as fans because like Ben said we are going to have a setback at some point like there is going to be an actual league match in which we play like shit or where we get varred or we get footballed or whatever the case may be and that's just going to happen because this is a whole new thing that we're doing so I, I think I think as hard as it is the best thing for all of us is just keep the expectations where we're at this summer and, you know, maybe maybe some of the people that were saying, hey, this is a sixth, seventh place team, maybe you adjust your your expectations up to, to fourth or fifth. Um, but I mean, I was kind of already at that level 
Um, anyway, like I, th- I think this is a Champions League. The, the talent we have is able to compete at that level. Um, and, um, you know, I, I, I'm going to be pretty happy with a, a return to the European places. And that doesn't seem to be an unrealistic expectation right now. Yeah, I think you guys are both right in that we've been a little fortunate this year. We have been, you know, there's still a lot of work to do. Our squad is a little thinner than I think we'd all like. And there's something to be said for we are two or three injuries away from, I don't want to say catastrophe, but problems, like real problems. The flip side of that is I think this team is for real. Uh, Maybe not like second in the table for real, but I think this is a good team and Ange knows what he's doing. And all things considered, while I think this is the beginning of a rebuilding process, this is, you know, the start of something, I think we're going to be much better than this. At the same time, I'm feeling a lot more confident about us being in European places. And I think a Champions League spot is much more of a realistic thing to want than it was four or five weeks ago, you know, at the beginning of the season, certainly. I I don't, like you said, Ben, like Spurs fans' ability to melt down is, you know, like in the way that Liverpool fans are able to get angry about the injustice of everything in the universe. Um, I think the ability of Spurs fans to just melt down over the slightest setback is pretty impressive. And we're going to see just how much equity and just built up in the next few weeks when that happens inevitably. But I don't know. I think, I'm starting to dream on this team a little bit. I mean, obviously we're going to win the league, but you know, I think I just think the ceiling for this team looks is much more realistically higher than I think any of us thought it was going to be at the beginning of the season. Yeah. I think there's no doubt about it that like when this team is playing well, this team is fucking great. And it's just a matter of developing that consistency and figuring out, you know, how to keep playing well and, in other kinds of circumstances that don't necessarily suit our style of football. And, you know, Ange has expressed his commitment to playing his football no matter what. And, you know, there will be growing pains when and maybe a more pragmatic approach would have been appropriate and we don't do it because that's not how we play. And I think that's the right call because we're developing as a team, but it may have consequences and like, it's okay I think the thing that makes me feel the most positive about our ability to, you know, finish comfortably in the Champions League places is everybody else. You know, I think we were all very nervous about what Pochettino's Chelsea team was going to do and uh, survive relegation looks like what they're going to do at this point. Maybe. Uh, maybe. You know, Man U is also in the fucking toilet right now. Uh, Brighton sucks. Suddenly, uh, do not look as amazing as they did uh, last year. Um, so the competition at the top is not like we were f- afraid of, like seven, eight teams that are competing for four four places. It's like, yeah, it's like Man City's obviously going to be there, and then like Liverpool, Arsenal, us, and Newcastle are fighting for you know three spots. And I think that's a fight that you know is very winnable, but we might not win it, but yeah. it's winnable. Well, and also, there's a fifth Champions League spot this season if Man U and Arsenal can stop fucking shitting the bed. Like, I hate having to root for these clowns to not fuck up in Europe because it's very funny to watch, you know, Man U get undone by two Davids and Sanchez assists or, you know, Arsenal blow it to, like, the 16th best team in France and, you know, get their best player injured in the process. Like, that's great. I, I want to watch that happen. And now I'm invested in it their success because it's going to make it easier for easier for us to qualify for the Champions League. I hate that. Um, but you know, that's the stuff to dream on. Yeah. I, I mean, I think you're right. Uh, and you know, just being able to enjoy this season for, for us kind of returning to the Tottenham Hotspur roots or to be able to say that we got our Tottenham back or whatever, I think that's that's been so great these first few games, and I don't want us to lose touch with that. Like, you know, um, obviously I want us to win football matches. I want us to succeed. I want us to do, you know, all sorts of things. But, like, I 
I'm just so happy to be able to enjoy sitting down and watching these games. I'm I'm so happy to be able to watch an Arsenal match or the Liverpool match and be able to go. You know, this wasn't like the most nerve wracking experience of my life in the way that, you know, uh, the last few years have been. You know, I, I'm able to enjoy them as, you know, spectacles and games of football because we are participating in the spectacle and in the football as opposed to letting football happen to us in the way that we have for years. Um, so, and, and I don't want to lose sight of that. I want us to keep appreciating the, the direction that this club is moving. And I think by altering the expectations or saying, like, you know, anybody who is seriously saying, like, we're going to win the league, like, you're back. right. You're correct. You're 100 percent correct. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we are going to win the league, but also dial it back. Um, right. Yeah, I, no, think, I could not agree more with that sentiment. It's just like don't let the expectations overwhelm the excitement because it's been so fun. And like, hold on to that feeling and try and see that through the season, no matter what happens. I don't want to say it's not about trophies because winning things is great and everything, but it's also not about trophies. Like, think about, like, putting the Fulham game aside because whatever, but, like, the two most frustrating league games this year, Brentford and Sheffield, Sheffield. Uh, the Sheffield United game. Those games were so much more fun to watch than probably our, like, five best victories under Mourinho and Conte outside of that, like, six-month period where – Conte actually had us playing well. Like those games were just so much more easy on the eye. It's enjoyable to watch Spurs again. I mean, we've all joked about it. Like we're looking forward to doing this. I mean, I don't think it's any secret. Talking about this team every week and recording an hour of it has been not always the easiest thing in the world to do. And it's just you know like every game, it's like I'm excited about it. even a game against a team like Liverpool where it's like you know like like or, or at the Emirates where these are two fixed that have just not gone our way for, I mean, going back before Mourinho, you know, I'm excited about those matches again. It's just, you know, we joke about we have our Tottenham back, but it's like, it's just nice to be looking forward to football every week, um, no matter who we're playing. Well, it's funny because like, so I saw a tweet on Twitter either or X. Uh, I saw uh, I saw that on either yesterday or today. And it was basically that Spurs this time last year had uh, under Conte had the same amount of points, but had scored one more goal through the first, whatever we're at, six, seven games or whatever. And I did not remember that. Like, I just had to go back and look and be like, is that true? Like, I the, the, the difference in the way this season feels, the way that the vibes are this year is so much of a complete 180. And it's just wild to me that that we were in this kind of position or, you know, slightly better last year. Like, I just I think I've completely memory hold that. Yeah, me too. Like I knew we didn't start the season in like catastrophic form, but to hear that we were better is surprising. Well, yeah, also just, a good reason to like temper your expectations. No, it's not was, because I think you go back last year. It was like I think everybody was hoping we turn a corner, but yeah, this team didn't pass the smell test. Like no one felt good about any of those results. Like we were grinding it out, but especially you know watching what Arsenal were doing, which as annoying and frustrating as it was, it was you know it was more convincing. And I think that's the difference about it. you watch this team whether it's against Sheffield United or Liverpool or Arsenal, like, I mean, this team passes the smell test. You watch them, even if they're getting a little bit lucky sometimes, you know, it's like, this is a good team. This is, a, this is like a very, this is a team that's going to finish in like a Europa League place. Probably if things don't go, you know, if, if half the team doesn't get injured or whatever, I mean, this passes the smell test in a way that I don't think a lot of those teams like, you know, that Mourinho team that was in first place in December or November or whenever it was, you know, that team last year. It's just, you know, you you knew that wasn't for real. Yeah, I mean, I feel like a, a lot last season in the fall anyway, we had conversations where it was like, you know, is this still enjoyable if Arsenal are in first place? And we were hanging around the top four for I think probably a lot longer than we actually remember. We were in third place when Southampton happened. Yeah, because I think yeah, we were we were doing well for a while. Well, we like, well is yeah. yeah. 
you know, results based. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just it just feels so much different this year. And and like we just said, like you just have to enjoy that aspect of it. Yeah. Vibes FC. Keep on trucking. Yep. On that note, I think it's time to wrap it up for another effective uh, episode where we just talk about vibes. And, you know, we, we have to get back to, you know, plotting uh, the downfall of uh, Liverpool in our next f- fixture. So, Ben, where can people find you on the Internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Comrade Uspers. And Brian, where can people find you on the Internet? You can find me also on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. That is Brian with a Y. And... You can find me on Blue Ski, Brian Ashlock, no underscore. I'm going to keep plugging it until <laughs> it goes away, man. Like, you I know, mean, I we all hope one of them goes away, but yeah, I just need us to decide because now I've got I've got two social media apps on my phone. And I, I, I know a lot of people already do that because people have Instagram or whatever or Facebook. I can only manage one thing that I. Yeah, scroll I just through I forget Blue Sky exists. I, I mean, I wish that we all moved there, but you know, until like, until he does something stupid enough to actually kill Twitter, like we're probably all there until it falls apart. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Skipjack0079. You can find me on Blue Sky at just old Skipjack. And you can find us, uh, our podcast, on Twitter at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. For Ben, for Brian, and of course for Brett Rainbow, I've been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs, and enjoy your lunch. <laughs>